we can't save ourselves. Speak to us now. In the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Is this on? Yay. Surprised it didn't fall off my belt and lose three parts on the way up here. That's been the kind of week it's been. Uh, if you have your Bible this morning, uh, start turning to Daniel chapter number one. Um, on, while you're on your way there, I'm going to tell you a little story. It's pretty popular amongst people who have uh, lived in Texas or been to Texas or have family in Texas. In Texas, the people there are very proud of the Rangers, not the baseball team, but the law enforcement division of, of the Texas Rangers. Um, there's a story about the Rangers. It says uh, a mayor in a town uh, was going through something in his town. There was a riot. And uh, during the riot, he, he wired the Texas Rangers uh, and he called uh, for help. He said, I need your help. Send the Rangers. Well, just so happens it wasn't one far away, so he shows up, walks into town, meets the mayor. The mayor says, no, I called the Rangers. He said, the, and the Ranger looks at the mayor and says, uh, you have a riot. Correct? And the mayor says, yeah. He said, you only have one riot. Correct? He said, yeah, you only need one ranger. <laughs> you know, one riot, one ranger. It only takes one person uh, to make a difference in the life of a young person. In the life of uh, a Daniel or a Danielle, a young uh, boy, a young girl, a youth. It only takes one person to decide that they're that important and they're worth the investment. If you'll stand with me this morning, we're going to read in, in God's Word, chap, uh, Daniel chapter 1. We're going to have to read the first eight verses. It says, In the third year of the reign of uh, Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand with some of the vessels of the house of God. And he brought them into the land of Shinar, to the house of his God. And placed the vessels in the treasury of his God. Then God, then the king commanded uh, Ashpaz, his chief eunuch, to bring some of the people of Israel, both the royal family and of nobility. Here we go. Youths without blemish, of good appearance, skillful in all wisdom, endowed with knowledge and understanding, learning, and competent to stand in the king's palace, and to teach them the literature and the language of the Chaldeans. The king assigned them a daily portion of the food that the king ate, and of the wine that he drank. Now they were to be educated three years, and at the end of that time they were to stand before the king. Among these were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah of the tribe of Judah. And the chief of the eunuchs gave them, these, gave them names. Daniel he called Bethshazzar, Hananiah he called Shadrach, Mishael he called Meshach, and Azariah he called Abednego. Verse number 8, But Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine that he drank. Therefore, he asked the chief of the eunuchs to allow him not to defile himself. Let us pray. Father God, we love you. Lord God, we thank you for the opportunity to gather and worship. Lord, as we consider this morning your word on how to raise up the next generation, on how to bring them to a gospel life, on how to educate, on how to guide, how to love and lead them. Lord, help us. Send your Holy Spirit to open our hearts. Give us the great wisdom to discern your word. Lord, help us to uh, realize the importance of pouring into young people, of, of that investment. Lord, uh, uh, as we uh, look at Daniel, help us to know how we can raise up the next generation to be like him. In Jesus' name, amen. 
So what do you need to know to raise your Daniel? To raise one up uh, to, in the image of Christ and, and to look and live a gospel life. First of all, you really need to wrap your head around um, who they are. Okay? The, who and, and what time they're living. The men of Issachar, in, in the Bible tells us in 1 Chronicles 12, 32, it says that they understood the times. That means they looked around and said, I, I can see what's going on. I can grab hold of this culture and of this time, and we have to do something. And, and they were the, those who took David, the young person, and, and defended him and put him into where he could be king and put, gave him that opportunity. We have to do the same thing. We have to look and see the environment and the culture and, and what our kids are going through in order to lead them because we have to uh, know how to talk to them and, and why and what issues to address. As those entrusted with raising up the next generation, parents and grandparents, adult leaders, spiritual leaders, uh, spiritual mothers and fathers of, of the young people in this church, uh, we have to make a difference and it's only going to take one. We all have a part to play. So when you ask yourself, who are your Daniels, think about this. Wrap your heads around this. Think about how the communication has changed in the last 30 years. The children in our homes and in this church are people who have likely, likely never talked on a phone with a cord. Much less had to do the rotary dial. Four and seven. They don't know anything about that, Right? At one time for us, though, we may have been able to imagine, uh, uh, we couldn't imagine a house without a television. Some of you couldn't imagine a house without a radio or a microwave, depending on how far we got back we have to go. Maybe some of you even uh, uh, couldn't imagine living in a place that didn't have electricity. But those people, and in those times that you lived in and you grew up in, there were differences there, too. The things that we couldn't imagine and the things that our children can't imagine, we're all in the same boat because it's all changing. Nothing stays the same. At one time, we couldn't imagine certain things, and uh, this is the same way that our kids feel about those cell phones that they have. They can't imagine not having them, right? They can't uh, wrap their heads around the fact that you, if you have to take it away from them, uh, what they're going to do. How am I to communicate with the outside world? I'm lost. This makes them very independent, though. The fact that they have that little cell phone and the fact that it means so much to them. It makes them fiercely independent, and here's why. I'll get to here's why in a minute. I want you to think about the economy, too. The economies we kind of grew up in. Me, I'm 35. I grew up in the tech boom. Man, it was good there for a while. Everybody was buying a house, and then we had this credit thing where you could buy a house if you didn't have money or not. Everybody was good. Life was good. Our children, our young people, the people that we're raising up are growing in a, a time where they were born in a recession. Everyone born after the year 2000, 2001, uh, they began to experience this downfall, and it hadn't went away yet. Think about how your young people learn. Now, this is what got me the most when I was studying for this and reading about it. Think about how they learn. Your Daniels have an ease of access to learning that we never imagined. If they want to know something or how to do something, all they have to do is pull up YouTube, search it, and you can learn how to do anything. Absolutely anything. We had to go where the information was, right? 
When we were growing up, if we wanted to know something, we had to go to an encyclopedia or to a library. If we wanted to know how to change a carburetor, we had to go to a mechanic and ask them. We had to actually take our bodies and ourselves and either go to our rotary phones and take three minutes to dial a phone number and call somebody who knew, or we had to actually go to where the information was. They carry around this little box, and I'm glad I didn't bring mine because that would have been awkward. They carry around this little box called a cell phone that contains every piece of information that the world has ever known, and all they have to do is Google it. They have an ease of access to learning that we could have never imagined. This makes them fiercely independent. They don't need you to teach them. They can Google it. They can YouTube it. They don't need to go to where information is. Information comes to them. That's scary. To think about what you can get a hold of when you pick up that little square electronic device. Why is that? Why does that uh, put the fear of God in us for our kids to have cell phones? Why is it that they're growing up in the age and in the time that they live in? Why is it? Why are they in this situation? Now, this is our part. It's time for us to be a little bit accountable. We built this society. Not only did we elect the officials and participate in the, uh, the buying of things that led to this, but we also promote them in our homes. Right? We built this, and then we get mad at them when they use it. According to one poll, though, over 50% of teenagers believe America's best years are behind them. 50%. Think about war. Think about war. They, those born after the year 2000, are growing up at a time when they've never not been at war. This is a different kind of war, too. I'm not just talking about what's going on in the Middle East. Unless you were around in the 1860s, you nor I realize what it feels like to be fighting a war in your school, in your neighborhood, where everyone you see could be a potential threat. When Columbine happened, for those of us who are uh, old enough to remember, it stopped us. So did 9-11. Now there's a school shooting one a month. And think about how you reacted to the last one. It didn't stop you. It didn't make you pause. You put it on the line against, uh, on, on your prayer list, maybe under uh, the last school shooting. Our kids are growing up in a war zone, un, under threat all the time. And praise God, until only by His grace, it hadn't happened to us. The scariest thing ever may uh, be the time in which these kids are growing up in because for the first time in uh, uh, the history of the United States, our children are growing up in a society that's not centered around the gospel. For the first time, that's where we are. And so parents and grandparents and adult leaders, uh, we have to always be diligent at understanding the times. We have to continue to adapt, and we can, right? Because we learned how to use a rotary phone, we learned how to use a digital phone, and we learned how to use a cell phone. 
we've adapted over and over again. Young people, I want you to wrap your heads around that. Everything that you, young people, students and, and youth, most of you over here, everything that you have and, and you take for granted, we had to learn how to use it first, and there was one before that that we had to learn to use too. We're parents and grandparents and spiritual leaders in this church. We are incredibly adaptive people. We've been through it. We've lived it. It's not always been the way that you have it. So realize who your parents are. It was new to them at one point, and they adapted and realized uh, that they had to study harder than you ever will because they had to go to where the information was. Realize that they are going to have to work harder than likely you ever have to. They can teach you something, young people. Not many of you over there. Young people, they could teach you something. As we come to our passage in Daniel, uh, we have to realize that everyone has a part to play. We realize that everyone uh, is involved in raising a Daniel and going into a, a time and a culture that is absolute threat. Young people, you are targets of all communication like in a time now that, unlike it's ever been. There are five things that we're going to see this morning uh, uh, concerning how to raise up a child in this generation, in this time, and in this place. Number one, here's the big question I want you to wrap, wrap your head around. How do we do it? First, we must teach our young people, our Daniels, our Daniels, to be competent and likable. And that means not incompetent. This is a big deal. Competency is a big deal. That means that you're not lacking the ability to, to do. How about even the ability to try? Some people won't even try anything because it scares them. We have to uh, teach our children to try new things and, and that it's okay to fail. And it's okay to get back up. Not lacking the ability to do and not sour meaning lacking the attitude to want to. Verse 4, chapter 1 tells us that the young people Nebuchadnezzar took to Babylon were of a good appearance, skillful in all wisdom, endowed with knowledge, understanding, and learning, and competent to stand in the king's palace. The first thing that we learn about Daniel from when he's taken from his homeland is that he was competent and likable. He had the ability to do some stuff. And people liked him. Competent means able to learn and he could think. That means at some point, adults, leaders, parents, grandparents, you're going to have to challenge the young people you're raising up to do on their own and quit doing it for them. They can't learn to think if they never have to. Proverbs 22.6 that Buster Riss says, Train up a child in the way that they should go. And when they are old, they will not depart. You are training your child Every day, with every action that you take, and you're training your child in the way that they should go by everything that you do. Every piece of clothing you put on, every television show you watch, every word that you speak is leaving an impression. They soak in information now better than anything I've ever seen. You can't talk them out of anything. Believe me, I just spent the week with 30 of them. But they can take in the information now and disseminate information this fast. Gone. I just saw my mom put on hashtag LOL. Can you believe that? That's what they do. 
They can take information in and they see it and they grab hold of it and you're not going to get away with it. We have to teach our child in the way that they should go by our actions and by our words. Make them competent. Make them have the ability to pull some things off and to do and to try. Challenge them. Stop doing for them. Start letting them do. Likeable means you're put together well. Now, this doesn't have anything to do with uh, how much money you have. Or it doesn't have anything to do with uh, uh, your inability to have a, a pleasant appearance. Right? I don't care if you put a suit and a tie on your child to come to church. I don't care if they wear a t-shirt and jeans. But you can iron what they wear. Matter of fact, if we really want to get down to it, you make them iron what they wear. And teach them in the way that they should go. Likeable means put together well. You can't uh, do that unless you challenge them. That means they have to wear deodorant too. That was a big deal this week. All right? You can't put your child out into a world that's going to uh, soak in the information and who they are and disseminate that information equally as fast and expect us to walk like Christ and have the ability to take the gospel to the ends of the earth when, when you send your child out there and, and they're not competent or likable. When their clothes are wrinkled and they don't smell good. Everybody has the ability to iron your clothes and buy deodorant. If you don't, come talk to me. I'll buy you both. I'll buy you iron and deodorant. But we can do these things. We can make them competent. We can challenge them. Number two, resolved. Resolved, meaning that Daniel and his friends had convictions. I want you to understand something. When I say that they had convictions, it means that they had something that they left Jerusalem with. This is very early. We're talking about verse 8 of chapter 1 of Daniel's uh, account. He didn't have a whole lot of time to learn a bunch of stuff once he got to Babylon. This is everything that we're going to talk about this morning. Daniel left his home with. That means somebody taught it to him. In verse 8 of chapter 1, it says that uh, Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself. That means he said to the world that he was living in, I will not be like you are. He said it to the, uh, the, the culture that told him to wear this, to act like that. He said it to people that renamed him and tried to call him what he wasn't. They were trying, the world that, that we are pushing our children into are going to try to take away every sense of who they are from them. They're going to take away and say that you need to wear this and not that. It needs to be shorter, not longer. That was a big deal this week too. The only one of y'all laughed. One. Shorter, not longer. It needs to be this way and not that way. Everything that you're going to teach your kids to do when they're at home, their world is going to teach them to do it completely opposite of that because they don't want them to look like you. When you walk with Christ and you're teaching them the way that they should go and you have that gospel inside of you and you're living it and breathing it and doing it every day and your children see that and they go into the world and to their schools and they graduate from high school and go to college, the first thing that the schools and the high schools and the college are going to try to do to your children is take away every sense of Jesus that they've ever known. You can't pray. You can't wear that shirt. If you wear one with a cross on it, somebody's going to take a picture of you put something, disseminate information 
They're going to try to change your name. You're going to go to college maybe, and you're going to go uh, and be a part of FCA in high school, and as soon as you get to college and somebody asks you, you know, you go to church, are you a Christian? And somebody, mm-mm. They're going to try to take that name from you and give you a new one, Alpha Delta Pi. Everything that you are, the world is going to try to take away from you, young people. So adults and parents, we have to teach them to hold on to it. Daniel had resolved. Charles Stanley's had the best definition I've ever heard of what this means. It means to have a conviction. A conviction is a declaration from the Word of God that you are so thoroughly convinced is true that you are willing to stand for it regardless of the consequences. We have to teach our children and our young people that the Word of God stands above all things. And you must be willing to stand for it regardless of what the world tells you and regardless of what you come up against. And how do we do that? if we haven't been in the Word ourselves? How do we do that if, Jesus had, if we haven't invited Jesus to change our lives and become a new person, a new creature, because we realize who He is? How do we have convictions and teach them if we don't have them ourselves? A conviction being something true from the Word of God that you will stand for regardless of the consequences. If it's from the Word of God, it's true. That means you can stand for it. But we, as the ones who have that responsibility of raising up the next generation, have to do it first. Because remember, they're taking it all in, every step, every time, every word. He resolved. Daniel and his friends left home with that. Number three, they had manners. Good manners will open doors when nothing else will. Manners play a significant role in a person's life without which they cannot be complete in the true sense of the word. This has been aptly summed up when we say manners maketh man or manners maketh woman. Your mannerisms, behavioral characteristics, and everything about you make up who you are and people are watching. They're looking for the opportunity to change your name from speaker of the word of truth to liar, blasphemer, From somebody who will stand upon everything that word says and what God says to all you have to do is put them in the right situation and they'll cave. Manners. Everything about you is saying something about you. Manners can save your life. As we see in this first chapter, someone taught Daniel that whatever they do, and word or deed must be honoring and glorifying to God. Manners gave Daniel the opportunity and the ability to ask to defile himself, to not defile himself with the king's food. I'm sorry. He had the conviction first, and then he asked. His conviction led to his question, and this was the way that he presented it. To gain an audience, he asked, because no one would get to defile the king with a bad attitude. I'm not going to do that. Is not how Daniel said it. Daniel stands for what he believes, but he does so in a way that's not offensive to the time and the place in which he lives. God honored Daniel. If we read in verse 9 of chapter 1, 
It says, and God gave Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of the chief of eunuchs. Because of the conviction Daniel had and the way in which he presented that conviction to the world around him, God honored it. Daniel said, I'm going to stand for this because God said not to defile myself. And God honored it to the place and in the world. But he did so with the right manners. A little later on in Daniel's life, this disposition, these manners save his life again. If you read with me in chapter 2, verses 12 through 14, we come to the situation where King Nebuchadnezzar wants to know the interpretation of his dream. We've all heard the story. His people, King Nebuchadnezzar's people, couldn't get the job done. So all the wise men of Babylon, of which Daniel was now a part, were sentenced to death. Read chapter, verse uh, 12 says, Because of this, the king was angry and furious and commanded that all the wise men were to be destroyed. So the decree went out, and the wise men were about to be killed, and they sought Daniel and his companions to kill them. Then Daniel replied with prudence and discretion in the right way. With prudence and discretion to Ariot, the captain of the king's guard, who had gone out to kill him. Daniel did something very special here that we must teach our young people as they go into a world that's going to try to change who they, are, who they are and try to kill them and challenge them at every moment and every opportunity. He replied with prudence, meaning with care and caution, and discretion means with discernment. Right then and there, Daniel may have even been like Nehemiah who, who prayed and spoke. He thought about the right words to say, and he did so in such a manner that gained him the audience and the ability to represent God well. He wasn't angry and he didn't object. He replied, as Colossians 4, 6 says, with graciousness, seasoned with salt. He separated right from wrong. He chose right. Daniel was a child of God living in a foreign land. He took great care in how he acted and spoke. And God honored those things and continued to promote Daniel in the place that he was over and over again. As stewards of the gospel, this is something we do also. Those of us who, who have come to know Jesus as our Lord and Savior, this is stuff that's not exactly outlined in the gospel. It's not exactly stuff that you read about in, in Scripture. But think about it. As stewards of the gospel, we must uh, act in the same way. We must stand for what we believe, stand in such a way that the world knows we're different. But not offensive. The gospel is offensive enough. In order to fulfill the great commission that Jesus gave us, we must first have to gain the audience. If no one likes you, if you can't carry on a conversation, then no one's going to listen to you when you try to tell them about Jesus. We're called to take the gospel to all nations. But first, in order to gain the audience, we might firstly have to be decent people. People that others want to listen to and talk to and walk in a manner that is unwavering with convictions, willing to stand in a time and a place that's opposed to us. Number four, we see that Daniel left his home with a prayer life that we can model. Young people, you must pray. Teachers, leaders, parents, and guardians, teach those whom God has entrusted you with you to pray. If you don't, they won't. If you don't pray, 
you can't expect your children to do the same. If you're not praying and if they don't see you praying and you're just telling them, then you're being a hypocrite. And the worst thing that we do as a church is, is to bang on the Bible and say, do this, and point at the back door and say, go, and never go and do it with them or never go and do it and show how it's supposed to be done. Daniel had a prayer life that we can model. If you turn to chapter uh, 6 and verse number 10, well, this is the lion's den account where we find Daniel has been praying three times a day What does it say in verse 10? Verse 10 of chapter 6 says, When Daniel knew that the document had been signed, that means his death warrant had been signed, because they set up this sting operation, um, just like we watch on, on TV and on movies. They set up this sting operation to come and get Daniel because they didn't like the way in which Daniel was lived and the manners and the customs and the ability to have a conviction and stand in the time and the culture that he did. They didn't like that. The people around him didn't. So they set up this sting. And Daniel's death warrant had been signed. And verse 10 says, When Daniel knew that the document had been signed, he went to his house where he had had windows in his upper chamber open toward Jerusalem. He got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before God as he had done previously. Matter of fact, when they come to get Daniel, they find Daniel praying. When the world comes to get you, do they find you praying? and modeling the life that Jesus has called us to. We've already learned, as we've studied the the book of Mark, as Pastor Craig has preached, that Jesus was intentional about his prayer life, that he rose up early in the morning, says chapter 1, verse 35, in order to spend time with his father. Do your kids see you praying? And if they don't, how can you expect them to? If it's not important to you, I'm telling you, young people in this day and age have a hypocrite meter that's unparalleled, I think, because they question everything. Five days, I had 30 of them. They question everything. They have a hypocrite meter that looks at what you're doing and says, I'll do it if you're doing it. But if it's not important to you, I'm not. Do your children see you pray? Are you teaching them to pray? And that is important. Are you intentional about it? Number five, Daniel stayed around the right people. Daniel had praying friends. He prayed three times a day, and Daniel had friends that pray. Young people, I would like for you to present every opportunity. Or how, how about the next time you meet somebody, ask them how many times a day they pray. And if they say, I don't, say, well, I know uh, why. Either you haven't been taught or you haven't come to know. And if they haven't been taught, we can understand because it wasn't important to the home in which they grew up in or the place and time in which they grew up. But if they don't know about Jesus, then young people, you have learned this week how to tell them about him. The spread of the gospel and the the admission of the church 
are important. And praying friends, being around the right people, get you into the right places. Where do you go, young people, when times get tough? Chapter 2, verses 17 and 18 tell us. Back to the account where they wanted to, where Nebuchadnezzar wanted the interpretation to the dream. I want you to look at what Daniel did. After he replied with prudence and discretion, after he gained the audience and had the conviction to stand again in the time and the place in which he lived, look what happens. Look how God honors, and look where Daniel goes. Verse 17 says, Daniel went to the house, into his house, and made the matter known to Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, his companions, and told them to seek mercy from God of heaven concerning this mystery. Daniel said, we got a problem. And Daniel went to his friends, and his friends were praying friends. He said, we got a problem, and I need your help. Let's pray together. He went to his house and said, uh, let's get together, let's work this thing out. Start praying now concerning this mystery. Let's ask God what it's all about. Next time you're, uh, the people in your class are, are coming at you with something you're not sure about, asking you to do something you're not sure about, how about go to your three friends and say, Lee, all let's pray about this before we do it. That's what we do. We pray when it gets hard. And if we're not teaching our children to do that, we can't expect that of them. As we've learned in, in Mark, chapter number two, there were four friends who carried their one friend to Jesus on a stretcher, opened the roof in, in the house and lowered Jesus into the, and lowered their friend into where Jesus was because the right people will get you into the right places. And as you learn in chapter two of Mark, the right people come equipped with the things to get you closer to God, get you closer to Christ. For Daniel, it was a prayer life. For Daniel, his friends prayed. For the guys in Mark, the faith that Jesus honored, somebody brought a hammer and some rope and all this other stuff. They weren't convinced that it was just going to take strength to get uh, to where Jesus was. So they climb up on a house. They make a hole. Your friends, the right people that get you in the right places are equipped people. They have stuff to get you closer to Christ. And then make no bones about it. Most of you are right here. Your friends are getting you closer to Jesus or further away. There's not a person in your life that's not doing one or the other, and there's no middle ground. They're either getting you closer to Christ or further away. How about us as adults? When things get tough, what do we do? Do we call our three friends and say, y'all, I need your help. Let's pray and seek God about this mystery. Because if we're not doing it, why can we ask, how can we ask them to? How can we ask our young people and our people that we are, uh, uh, have been uh, uh, ordained from God to raise up and to be the next generation to do things that we're not willing to do ourselves? Do we start complaining when stuff happens or do we go to our friends? Do we throw money at the next problem or throw credit at it? Or do we pray about it? Five things that Daniel had when he left Jerusalem. Five things. The right people ended up getting Daniel out of the situation because they prayed. So we must, as people entrusted with the next generation, teach our uh, young people to be competent, to be resolved, to have manners, to pray, and to know how to choose their friends. We must teach them that uh, competence 
in thinking and in appearance. Teach them to tuck their shirt in when it's the appropriate time and out when it's not. And that there's a time and a place for everything. Teach them what to do and not to do. That's what discipleship is. Jesus didn't say, y'all go, and when you go, I'll make you fishers of men. Adults, spiritual leaders, grandparents, mothers and fathers. Jesus didn't tell the disciples, those whom he called to be like him, to go, and I'll make you fishers of men. He said, come with me, and I'll make you fishers of men. I'm going to go do it, and you get to watch. And so we must do the same thing. Teach our children to iron their clothes, to wear deodorant. Going to church uh, should not intimidate us. Being around church people should not intimidate us, but we should dress for the occasion. Suit and pants can be ironed, and they can be clean and representable. We must teach our children to be resolved, to have resolution, to have convictions, and teach them the right convictions to have, the ones found in the Bible. We have to teach them what they can depend on. Teach your children manners, the right way to act in the right time. Teach them to pray and what it means by instruction and by example. Right? You want your kids to learn how to pray, let them listen to you pray. If you was to sit down the 30-something kids in our youth room and I prayed with them, I can tell you which ones pray at home. Because some of them sound like they hadn't prayed since second grade. They have that kind of sound in the way that they talk to God. And some of them sound like they're 70 years old and praying. Because they've been around people who've been praying for a long time. And they've listened to them. And they've modeled their prayers after them. I could tell you who prays at home. Because I can listen to them and see if they've had that example, if they've had that model. Teach them to pray. Teach them to stay around the right people. Adults, as long as you can, keep your children around the right people. It's going to come a time when you can't. Teach them how to choose friends correctly, friends who get you closer to Christ, friends who are equipped, friends who are going to get you to where Jesus is no matter what. Daniel left Jerusalem with what he used his entire life. Daniel was raised in such a way that he was able to withstand the advances of the world without faltering. Shouldn't we, as parents and grandparents, teachers and leaders of the next generation, shouldn't we endeavor to teach our children and the people under us the same? If we're to be good stewards of the gospel, we have to know it. Maybe the reason that you can't teach your children what the gospel is because you don't know it yourself. These manners and everything that we're talking about, the change of life that it creates when you meet Christ, is something that we all have to address first before we can teach it to somebody else. We may have come here today to, and, and not known exactly uh, what I was going to talk you. You probably can't follow what I'm talking about anyway. But you may have not have known why you're here today, and everything that I've said to you sounds like a good idea, but it's, you've never tried it. And there's no way for me to teach my kids how to pray because I've never prayed because today is the first time I've ever heard the name of Christ. Today is the first time that the God's opened my heart to hear. 
If the gospel is something that we're to steward over and take care of, then it's something that we have to first know. And if you don't know Jesus, today is your day. Because you can't change the life of the people that God's entrusted you with until you know the life changer himself. If we're to live lives that honor God, if you're to live the life that, that Daniel and Christ are calling you to do, then you have to know why. You have to know why. I love it when somebody asks me what I'm going to preach about. I, have, I say, Jesus. They say, what are you going to preach about this morning? I'm going to tell them that if uh, you're going to hell if you love Jesus. If you don't love Jesus, you're going to hell. If you love Jesus, you're going to be all right. And that's the easiest way to explain it. But this week we heard it, and, and we went through the gospel up, down, left, and right. And still I can look out, and, and I can only pray that all of you understand exactly what you're to be teaching your children. You can't call the young people who God's entrusted you to to a life that you don't know. You can't call them to a person that you haven't met yourself. This morning's your opportunity. I made a joke earlier. I said, I'm going to tell them if they, they love Jesus, then they're going to heaven. If they don't love Jesus, they're going to hell. And that's the truth of it. But in between all that is the reason why you would go to hell, and your sin gets you there. And the Savior keeps you from there. The life that's possible is only possible because you love Him. And know him. Everybody wants a Savior, but nobody wants a Lord. To learn and live and love, you have to put Jesus as Lord as your life. Let him lead you. As we stand and sing this morning, if you don't know who I'm talking about, come and talk to me. If you wish to, to, to uh, pray for your kids, pray for them. I've spent all week with many of them, and you have some good ones. But we're calling them into a world that uh, is going to be tough. Like nothing we ever experienced. We have to be able to adapt. They have to be able to have those convictions. If you want to grab your kid this morning, go grab them. Come down here and pray over them. Maybe today is the first day that you teach them that you pray and how to. Maybe in your heart you stay where you are and you say, God, teach me to do what I'm supposed to do. The, the people that you've called me to steward better the grandchildren, the neighbor's kids, the people that I see in church that I know that I have influence over. Lord, teach me to do that better. Well, how do I teach them to pray? Start praying. Talk to God like he's your friend. As we stand and sing this morning, if you don't know Jesus, come to know him today. If you want to go grab your kid and pray over him, teach them to pray today. We love you and we do anything for you. If you need anything, come ask. So we stand and sing this morning. Come to know the life changer. Then change the lives of those whom God's given you, blessed you with. Amen.